Welcome to Pop Culture Retro, which was recently voted the 15th best podcast by the residents of the Golden Years Retirement Community in Boca Raton, Florida. Each show, we'll revisit some of your favorite pop culture memories with insider and outsider perspectives. Now, please help me welcome your hosts, Ike Eisenman and Jonathan Rosen. Hello, and welcome to a very special edition of Pop Culture Retro. I'm one of your hosts, Jonathan Rosen, along with my co-host, who famously said, they call me the king, it feels good. In 1980s, two's dreams don't die, Ike Eisenman. <laughs> yes, I guess I did indeed say that. I didn't write it, but I said it. <laughs> I, I got to watch a little bit of it this weekend. It's on YouTube. Yeah, it is actually. It's available on. Uh, you can actually get it on DVD through Amazon, and uh, I don't know who put it out or anything like that. But I, I I did buy it. But yeah, I think you can you can watch it on on YouTube. That was a fun show to do for me. Really fun, actually. It has a lot of people who love that show, and I didn't know this before this uh, before I searched it up. I didn't have I had not seen that show, that movie, and. It has a lot of people who love it. There's very people who are fond of it. It's like a big cult uh, classic. I don't know if you you know that. I no, actually, I I, I don't. I I I didn't know that. I haven't uh, I haven't caught on to that yet in, in any particular way. It was, you know, very briefly. It was it was an interesting um, movie of the week. It was a movie of the week on ABC, I believe. And um, my claim to fame there is I beat out Emilio Estevez for the part. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, well, uh, a lot of these he, he auditioned also, and they ended up picking me. I, you know, not exactly sure why, but anyway, I was glad to do it. But it was based loose, loosely on, like, two true true stories. Because um, it, it's about a graffiti artist in, in New York City who really wants to be a real artist, but he's a graffiti artist, and he's all conf conflicted about that and how to get into the real, you know, the world of things, of, of art and doesn't think he can and paul winfield who plays a police officer ends up arresting him for tagging subway trains then kind of becomes his mentor and helps him through his process but at the same time there's a side running story about and this was based on i don't know if it was new york city or chicago but an actual um group of drug dealers who only hired children under the age of 16, I think it was, oh, wow. 16 years old, because you couldn't prosecute a child for having drugs, dealing drugs, peddling drugs, and selling drugs. And so this whole ring of, of gangsters, if you will, put, put together this, this first period of time, highly successful drug ring. And, and, and it could have been New York City, because that's basically where it this obviously this story took place and they um the producers writers and producers utilized that story at the same time and both of our world between myself this young drug dealer who's or maybe it was 18 18 years old i don't know who who's you know making a lot of money and vacating the law because of his age um is is trying to get in, draw my girlfriend in the story into that world and um and you know she's scared of it and we're all trying to get this guy arrested so this whole um storyline unfolds where we um we end up being a part of the process of getting him getting him busted and faking out him turning 18 years old so and so it's a whole convoluted thing but but it's no, actually it's actually fun it's got, a, 
it's got a lot of fun fun stuff in it and some well, great people it had you a know ton of comments on it that people like oh my god i love this show i love this movie and that they remember when it came out on tv and i i was not i mean i had just moved back to the country there so i don't remember it but we have to talk about that one a different day because i'd like okay. to hear all about this one but well today we have a very special one because we've kind of been putting <laughs> this off a little bit talking about you know we said let's do a few other things first and before we do this so today we get to finally talk about all the witch mountain movies <laughs> so it was one of my favorite movies as a kid and i've told you this many times i it was one of the few that i actually remember going to see in the theater and now when we spoke about it you agreed that there was a good way to kick off the new year so here we go finally <laughs> Well, this should be fun. I, I truly do love talking about the films um, because I, I'm very, very blessed to have very specific, um, full memories of pretty much the entire experience. And, and that also, you know, applies to my entire career and, and a lot of my childhood. Um, and I, I, I feel very fortunate about that because, um, you know, it's my bottom line is Escape Witch Mountain is my favorite um project i have ever done and it will always remain that way um because it was so impactful to me it was a huge um step forward in my career it was a huge um casting opportunity for me because you know one of the th things and i talk about this frequently um you know and i especially outline it outlined it in my in, in my memoir about how what a big deal Disney was to me as a kid because I grew up watching Disney movies my grandmother took me to Disney movies every time one came out at a local theater she took me to go see it and um, one of my favorite stories about that I, I must have been four or five years old and went and saw Bambi and um, I couldn't I couldn't make it through it I started I, I broke down I freaked out I panicked and my grandmother had to take me home because I couldn't handle the the the, the tragedy in it. And I, I have never actually seen the entire film of Bambi because really? of the experience okay. yeah which I plan on sitting down and watching sometime sometime in the near future just because I need to do it it's such a beautiful animated film but anyway so I had such a huge exposure to Disney and the wonderful world of Disney was a big part of our family's life as well as mine and it was one of my dreams as a child actor to work for Disney period in 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 any any way at all and um I um I once I understood once I got into the business that Disney was a studio and of course I knew they made movies, but then I realized as I was auditioning for other things that my gosh, one day I might get to audition for something at Disney. And the, the idea of it just overwhelmed me. And then when I finally got my first audition there, I just thought, Oh God, this is so fantastic. This is so great. This is so great. This is so great. And I, I didn't get it. And which one um, was I this? Didn't, that you didn't get? I, I have no idea. Cause that was, that was an interesting thing about Disney and Disney casting. Um, and I, don't know if they just did it with children or not but they never told us what it was for you know we just went in and i never knew i never knew what projects oh, so i was just went in blind for. and we're, we're auditioning for something and no you don't yeah. know no clue. yeah they would just say here's the scene wow. um you know we just want to see how you do is the character description and um and um one of the other things that's very unique was unique about disney casting is they had a completely separate children's department um Virginia Higgins was the head of casting for children and um, 
oh, now his name's escaping me. There was another gentleman who cast uh, all the adults and read all the adults. And they had offices like opposite each other in a short hallway um, outside. The, it was the casting building uh, situated right out front of the studio, right by the gate, uh, was there forever. Now it's, I, I think it's completely gone, but, um, but I, uh, I, I couldn't believe that I didn't get a call back. And I, you know, was just kind of devastated by that. And I thought, well, okay, well, well, we'll, you know, we'll see, because at that point I'd gotten a little cocky in my career. I pretty much got everything I read for or that I wanted to get, or at least I got a callback for it. If I got a callback, didn't get it. That was, that was fine. But to not even get a call back, I thought, God, this is just crazy. And so they kept bringing me back. Virginia kept bringing me back. I always read for her. That was just the way it worked. You read for her. And over and over and over again, she kept telling me how much she liked me and then would send me off. And I would just, I was getting more and more depressed until one day and, and quite literally, I remember because I counted, I kept track of every audition I had at Disney. My 11th audition at the studio was when I was 11 years old and I thought that was some kind of sign. <laughs> I go in and I read for what turned out to be Escaped Witch Mountain. And I, at the time I had no idea. And then I read for it and thought, man, you know, look, at this point I was jaded, you know? So I walked away and just said, gotta let go of it. Gotta let go of it. And a few days later, they, uh, my agent called me up and said, Disney wanted to screen test me for, wow. for the film. And then that was set up and I ended up screen testing with Kim Richards and on the lot at, at, at Disney. So that was my first taste of the studio was the screen test. And, uh, and then it just unfolded from, from there. Did you get, did you screen test with any other, uh, actresses too, as well, or no, just Kim? No, it was just Kim and I, and, um, and I, you know, I have my little list here in front of me because in doing the research actually for writing, Which I was going to ask about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was just going to just jump right into it. Dave Smith, who became the head of the archives at the studios, became a, a friend of mine years later. And when I told him I was writing my memoir, he offered to get me any information he could find at the studio about the making of the Witch Mountain films. And I said, oh my God, that would be great because I'm trying to piece together, you know, my memories with the actual chrono chronology of how things worked and all that stuff. And he ended up sending me a document that is that is literally barely half a page. It has almost no information on it because they didn't keep anything. And it broke down when principal photography started and it had a list of who screen tested for the film. And Kim and I were the first ones that screen tested. Um, and the names were, and I don't know how they were paired up, but for the part of Tony, Willie Ames screen tested, Radimus Parah, who was in Kung Fu and um, Little House on the Prairie and Leif Garrett uh, actually was one of the other that's amazing that uh, yeah the screen tested for tony and then for tia melissa sue anderson from little house screen tested a uh, young actress named vicky shrek who i don't know uh Kristen mcnichols and um another actress i don't know rosanna Lo locusano i believe is how her name her well, you beat out some really yeah. impressive names kind of well, <laughs> you know, it's so funny because you, yeah, you, you say beat, we, you say, generally speaking, we say beat, beat out. Well, okay. But, <laughs> but you know, the, it, 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 no, the I know, we, we, we used to use that. Look, I use that term all the time, you know, in the business because it is competitive. Let's be, right. let's be honest. But, you know, just sometimes the right chemistry just comes together for, um, you know, for these things. At least I thought it was the right chemistry. And um, I think, I think it's, 
um, I think the success of the movie has probably <laughs> borne that idea out. But, um, you know, I, I've tried to imagine what it would, what the film would, you know, have felt like with Melissa Sue Anderson and, and Willie Ames, because they were actually, they're a little, I don't know if they're a little older or not. They might be a couple of years older than Kim and I were. Because, you know, even in the book, the two characters were teenagers. They weren't as young as I'm Disney. I'm going to have to look up how old Willie Ames is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, they were. The original concept for the characters was 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 definitely um, older than what Disney ended up recreating for the movie. And I really, you know, I liked, as much as I was fascinated by the book, I thought, yet again, it would have been a completely other type of story had the two the brother and sister been you know mid mid teens or so it takes He's a few years older than you yeah 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 so he they were i guess they were looked at as more the the um not appropriate age but the original age of the characters and then you know kim and i were a lot younger i was 11 years old she was only nine years old so um we were pretty young uh by comparison now you've you've told the story. Now I just want to know you can always edit all this stuff out that whatever I ask. But so you have a great uh, Melissa Sue Anderson story where she got annoyed with you later on when you guested on Little House. Well, yeah, I at the time when I when I screen tested, you know, there's there, I had no idea that other people were screen testing. I mean, I, I I'm sure I was told that. I probably was informed. I didn't see anybody else because I only met Kim when I went in for the screen test. And then of course, when we were done, we went home and probably the, the next group came in. So they didn't cross us over in any way. That was something that I really, and I'm, I'll get to that story in a second, but so one of the things I admired about Virginia Higgins, she was an amazing woman who knew how to work with children and professional children, both professional and unprofessional, because you know we're a unique little strange group some of us are very savvy and we're very together. And then some of us are very, you know, scattered and, and all over the place. And, and you really do have to, you really do have to, you want to, I always like being treated like an adult because I felt like a young adult and I, I, I liked that, but you've got to be cognizant of the fact that you're dealing with children in a high pressure professional environment. And, and I always liked the way Disney did it because, you know, they didn't do group casting sessions. They didn't have a small group of kids, like with other shows that I auditioned for, you'd have a whole group of kids in the room and then they bring one or two in at a time and then send you out, then bring another two in and then repair you up with someone else and take you in again. And you're sitting there just freaking out because you're, you're, you don't know who you're in competition with or who you're actually being set up with or whatever. And Disney never did anything like that. So my point being, I didn't, I didn't encounter on that day, anyone else who screen tested. So I ended up um, years later getting an opportunity to do an episode of Little House. And I was so excited because I love Little House on the Prairie. I couldn't wait to be on the set. You know, I'd heard such great things about the set and the whole cast and everybody. And so I walk on and, and, and on my first day, and it's just a madhouse. I mean, it was a huge scene being shot. The entire cast was there, you know, the crews working around trying to get ready for the day shooting and the, and a assistant, assistant director who, you know, corralled me was my handler at, at the moment, getting me, you know, integrated into the new experience took me over to the makeup station and um he said everybody this is like eisman he's playing and i can't remember my, my character's name was russian 
Alison Arngrim can repeat these things all, <laughs> all the time. I, I can't remember them. But anyway, uh, this is like Eisman. He's playing this character and we just wanted to introduce him to you. And Melissa Gilbert turned around and she said, oh, hi, I, I'm Melissa. Nice to meet you. And and Matthew Laberto was at the table. He turned around and said, hi, Matthew. And then all of a sudden at the, at the far end was obviously Melissa Sue Anderson. I only recognize her because of her long hair. Her <laughs> hair lady was brushing out her long hair. And it was unbelievable because she literally like was facing this way and then did one of these and said, oh, aren't you that kid who was in that Witch Mountain movie? <laughs> and I said, yeah, actually. And I thought that was kind of nice to be recognized by Melissa Sue Anderson. And she said, well, Willie Ames and I were supposed to do that movie, but we had previous commitments. So we turned it down. And then she <laughs> turned right back around into the mirror and just, and, and like, that was it. That was the, <laughs> it was this cold, cold slap in the face. And I thought it was so weird because I thought, you know, okay, yeah, so we did the movie, but you're starring on like one of the major hit series of all time. And yet you've got obviously some, I don't know, envy problem or something like that, that I, 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 I have to tell I you guess, about it. How many times I, I hear it. that story? I love that story. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, it was shocking and, and intimidating to me at the time. Of course, now the time has gone by and I kind of get these dynamics better. I think it's hilarious. And little did I know that was very, you know, symptomatic of, of Melissa Sue Anderson's personality. She, she could be difficult and, you know, awkward and, you know, a bit strange at times. And I've heard that and I've read it. I'm not speaking out of turn here, but that was my experience with her being a brand new guest star on the show. And I thought, man, if you treat all your guest stars this way, it's not going to be a, a fun shoot. So I managed to I just, avoid her for- I love the cattiness of it. I just it was just, but yeah, but I mean, you know, it's like, you, you, you look at the, the adult stars who have that kind of catty attitude right. and you think, where yes. did that come from? And you realize, oh, they've always had it. They didn't develop it. They've always had it. They're just now being rewarded for it for some reason. So, yeah. Now, I just want to go back one thing. You, you said, because you did, they've never told you which movies that you auditioned for, you're saying. But was there ever like that you watched the movie and you said, oh, I remember reading this dialogue for something in, in a Disney movie? I don't know. Oh, no, not at all. Not at all. I, I, I would not have any kind of recollection of like that. As good as my memory was, it wasn't quite that good. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, and I, you know, I, I, I never know, you know, ca casting children, sometimes casting anyone, sometimes they won't even use the actual material from, you know, the, 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 the film or project that they're doing. They'll just, that's use piece, okay. pieces like stacks of dialogue that's like okay this is a 10 year old boy you know likable boy just let's give him this dialogue just just to see what what they can do but i i i think my own analysis over time of it was i i i i think virginia was waiting for me to be ready for the right part I don't think she wanted to put me in a five and under or a walk on or, you know, some small scene in a film. And that's, you know, it could be ego. It could just be my, my personal sense of pride about, about my overall experience with Disney and what I ended up then getting cast in. But every, you know, it, it was 
and those 11 auditions were over a short period of time, like a year, year, year and a half. It wasn't very long. And over that year, year and a half, I did more show TV shows. You know, I started out having done just a couple things and I did a few more. And then I, by the time the most recent thing I had been in before um, auditioning for Escape to Witch Mountain was um, a rather, not controversial, but it was a very powerful at the time um, ABC after school special called My Dad Lives in a Downtown Hotel. And I starred in it um, alongside um, Bo Bridges, uh, who played my father. And oh. at, the, at the time, and I'm trying to think what year this would have, it would have been 74, I think, um, 1974, divorce was becoming a national kind of epidemic. It was in the news. And remember that. I yeah, remember. yeah. There was a lot of a lot of attention being paid on things like, you know, the, 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 the stresses, excuse me, gosh, darn it. My club soda always come <laughs> oh, haunts me and I barely started you the show. That out. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it shows I'm human, but anyway, um, uh, it, 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 there was a lot of attention being paid on the stresses it was, do, you know, creating for children who were confused about this whole idea. And so that was what, what the movie, the, uh, the, um, after school special was about. And, and I, you know, I think that was a feather in my cap that ended up help pushing me more towards being castable as a, in a starring, a starring role. You know, it, all those things help. Well, I, I want to put you in a hot seat right now. And we have a lot of Witch Mountain questions. Right? I don't know why I'm doing this, but just something that you said right now was that ever, you've been very gracious. I, whenever we've spoken, you've been very gracious about when you didn't get parts and you taught, you, you commended the actors that got the parts instead of you. I mean, you've, you've been really nice. You're a very down-to-earth person. Has there ever been a role that you saw that said, well, I could have done better than that? <laughs> That's something that you auditioned for? Oh, gosh. Okay. That you care to admit to. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really good question because I got to do all the juicy ones that I wanted. And I'm trying to think. Because every time you, you, we talk about a role that you said, oh, but they, they, they were great in this. You, you always do that. Was there ever something that you just said, no, no, I, I could have nailed that. <laughs> My gosh, I'm trying to, th I'm trying to think because I, you know, I appreciate you saying that I'm gracious about it, but I'm, I, 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 I guess I've been, you know, I've just always been objective about it. See, the business is really hard because you take it very personally. You know, they, they talk about, they, including myself, show business for actors in general, not just children, but everyone is, sure. is, a, is a process of 98% rejection and 2% acceptance because you audition constantly and you're constantly rejected. And you have to learn very early on. Not I know to that feeling well. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like, well, anything artistic. I'm not, yes. yeah, you, I, I, you're absolutely right. It, it applies to anything that's artistic because you're, you're you know, you're, you're doing something that's meaningful to you. You're putting out in front of the world. You're hoping they are interested in it or accepting sure. it. And, and, you know, because everything is a business at the end of the day, everything is looked at through that lens. And you have to start to understand that you're part of a business, even as a child, because if you don't, it will simply eat you up. And that was the advice I got from everyone. I mean, my father included, who, who, was a difficult he was a difficult um kind of role model to have in my life because he was a very angry frustrated actor who thought he should be a bigger star than he was and i never really wanted to be a star and it ended up kind of happening to me but 
that your to your to your question I, I i'm trying to think i can't think of i can't really think of anything that i would have felt like i could have done better because even though i went in with the same level of passion i had for other things that i ended up getting um i simply wasn't right for them and you can't you can't um you know i do think about roles that had i gotten would have changed my career forever and um I think the one that was probably the most difficult for me to look back on is ordinary people, because I was very much in the running for ordinary people. And um, I had several uh, auditions with um, Robert Redford and, and he seemed to like what I was, the sensibility I had that I was bringing to this character. But you know, there's just no way. Timothy Hutton, I mean, won an Academy Award. He was the right person at the right time for a monumental role like that. And of course, it launched his career in a direction that, you know, mine potentially could have gone. But, you know, it's like, that's that's why I guess I, you know, I come across as gracious because I just see it realistically. Um, and I, I just don't take it personally. I really don't. So I don't know that I, I know for a fact that I could not have nailed that part like, uh, like, like Timothy Hutton did. I, 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 I couldn't. And, and so therefore the right person got the job. It just, it just, it was like to, to get close with something that large and not, not get it was probably more difficult to deal with than thinking, oh, I could have done a better job, which I don't think I could have once I saw the entire <laughs> film and, 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 you know, how it all worked out. So yeah, it's okay. Put me on the spot. I'm going to think about that though. I might have an answer for you. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go to you again about this at a different time then. <laughs> so, <Okay. laughs> okay. so I want, I, I tried it whoever's watching. I did try it. Okay. I just, want to <laughs> so let's start at the beginning. You just mentioned you, you grew up in Texas and your father actually had a TV show his own yes. show. So what, what was that show like? A little bit of what that show was. Well, it was a live television show, a uh, children's show on um, a local uh, Houston, Texas um, affiliate network. And um, it was really kind of crazy because he, he started back in the 50s. It was called the Cadet Don Show. It was kind of a um, space-themed, astronaut-styled um children's show that played cartoons and he had different segments on the show he would have guests on the show sometimes actors sometimes um a lot of people from actually nasa because one of the reasons why they wow. did the show was mission control was just being built in houston texas this was a new thing and there was a huge marketing plan in place to make people aware of it um and my father's show kind of fell into that because they wanted, um, it was KTRK was the call letters for the station. And the state, the, the owner of the station wanted to work with NASA and, and kind of do something space themed. And my father got this opportunity to, you know, create this character called Cadet Don. And um, my father ran with it. And um, he was on the air 90 minutes a day, six wow. days a week, live. I mean, this was live television. And so he was constantly having to fill it with whatever content he could. And he did exercise things, teaching kids about exercise and dental hygiene. And that's a and lot again, of content. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, it's, it's, it's unbelievable how much it is when I think back on it. And, um, and he did, 
he did that show for nine years. As a matter of fact, there's there's a um, um, oh gosh, I'm trying to think of uh, Randy Quaid and Dennis Quaid are both from Houston, Texas. They both grew up watching my father on his show, hmm. and um, my father ended up okay. We're bouncing all over the place, but he ended up <laughs> moving into into production. Um, after he gave it his acting career the best shot that he could he became a prop master and a very successful prop master and he was working on a show tv series with randy quaid and randy talked to him about the cadet don show and he said my god you're cadet don i can't believe it um and, and a lot of people from houston remember the show because it was hugely popular and my father had um had a this special thing that he ended up doing, I think, pretty much every day once he once he started this 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 little gimmick, where he would have his the birthday segment where he would come in after the commercial and he'd say, "Okay, Sally, happy birthday to you! I know it's your fifth birthday, and if you go into your parents' closet, you're going to find your present your your birthday <laughs> present there for you." He did it one day just for you know to anonymously he had no idea who was going you know it was it was not to anyone specific got flooded with letters and over the next two days and then he started his people started going through the letters and finding real birthdays that were being announced wow. he would announce them on the show and so these kids are at home watching watching the kid at don show and they all of a sudden go oh my gosh that's me it's my birthday and then they run off wherever the birthday presents hit and pull it out and it was just it just like the show just went through the roof at that point. So anyway, this leading back to the Quades, one day my father is on the set with Randy and Randy says, come here, Al, you got to come up here. I need you to meet somebody. So he takes my father up into the, into the uh, production booth and sitting there is Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan. Oh, wow. And all of a sudden Dennis, Dennis looks up and he goes, Oh my God, Cadet Don. I don't believe it. I'm meeting Cadet Don. He says, I just have to say this to you because this means everything to me. I found my birthday present. <laughs> so Dennis Quaid got actually called out specifically on my father's show for his birthday. And, and he found his present and he'd waited like all these decades to have an opportunity to actually say something to the real Cadet Don. And he got his chance. So wow. this, this show was really really impactful on a lot of people and my father you know was he wanted to start to syndicate it he he was trying to do a deal with a station owner to syndicate it further around texas and maybe wider you know in the country than that and it ended up not working out and he got very frustrated and decided you know he wanted to my father wanted to advance his career he wanted to move on to bigger and hopefully better things so he decided to quit the show and move our entire family from Houston, Texas to Los Angeles. So I was going to ask you, so that had to do with him. That was just, he made that decision that he yeah, wanted yeah. to pursue acting further. Yeah. Strictly, strictly him. Um, and, you know, I was six years old at the time when it happened. So it was a bit of a jarring shock uh, sure. to myself and, and, and my brother, but yeah, it, it, it happened very quickly. And before I knew it, we were in the station wagon, you know, all driving out to Los Angeles. And he immediately started, you know, working and doing a number of things. I mean, my father could sing, he couldn't really dance per se, but he was a reasonably talented singer. So he was doing musical theater, started doing commercials. And, um, and after a while, I mean, this, it, it, it was, 
a few years that he got himself established there. But one day, and, and I, I mean, and unbeknownst to my family, I, I started to harbor this, this real desire to be a part of, you know, movies and TV shows because I was on my father's show. That's what I was going to uh, ask. So did that, that started yeah. you making appearances on the that John, Don show? Yeah. Yeah. Every yeah. year on our, on my brother and I both on our birthday, starting when I was two years old, we would be on the show. So it would be, you know, my birthday and it would be a birthday party on the show and presents would come out and the whole nine yards. And so that gave you the bug. Oh, it did. I mean, it did from moment one, because even at two years old, I looked around and I thought, you know, it's it's a very surreal experience, but it was my normal life to every single day, watch my father on TV, on the box, the box in the living room. That's my father was there. Then the box would turn off and a couple hours later, my dad would come in the front door, you know, so it was like he was in the box and then magically he would come from wherever it was he was. And I didn't have a, obviously a concept of that until I went on the show. And then I went on the show and went to the, to the station and went onto the set and saw the cameras and the microphones and all the people and all the lights and the, the set itself, which, and it's so funny because it's so true. Every time you see a set on, a, you know, in the movies or in a TV show, and then you actually go on the set, it's bizarre how fake they look and how small they are. And they, they, they look like they're you know, scotch tape together and all of that. And it's very true. And I thought even, even that at that young an age, it just impacted me in a huge way. And I thought, man, I want to be, I want to be a part of something like this, but I never really said anything about it. Um, so then all of a sudden one day, you know, I was about, it was nine years old. My dad sat me down and said, look, your mother and I have been talking and we wanted to see if you might be interested in doing commercials. Cause every, every showbiz family in Los Angeles, their kids did commercials. And the running thing was, yeah, you can earn your, you can earn money for college. Even though these are all highly su successful people who should have been paying for their own children's college funds. They were, <laughs> they were making their kids work so, no, so they could pay for their own college education. So for some reason that that allowed everyone to justify, you know, making your child or, you know, having your child go to work. So I thought, okay, sure. I mean, I, you know, um, hilariously, I thought, I don't even know what college is or when that happens, but you know, if it's going to cost money and I can earn my own money, why not? And, and, but no, I was very excited, very, very, very excited about this opportunity now to be a part of the business. And so that's, that's how it started. I got an agent started auditioning and started booking things very quickly i'm gonna, I'm gonna have to reach out to dennis quaid to see if we can get him on the show to talk yeah. about <laughs> i think that would be awesome when you first by the way when you first started telling me that you know he told kids to go to their parents closet i was expecting a totally different type of story <laughs> but you know it's like one of those things about live tv you can be so clever with that and you you know you really can't do anything like that anymore everything's too you know too too, too huge you, you couldn't yeah yeah so after how long did you did you get your own agent oh it was like it was immediate um i went and met my my father the, the way the business works and today it might be a little bit different but there were agencies that were strictly they strictly booked actors for commercials commercial auditions that was it then you had a theatrical agent that would book you for um tv shows and movies so uh, it's two different people completely two different agencies, wow. not just people I... agencies because herb tannen which was my uh commercial agent for a very long time um they had a children's department then they had like 
four age, three or four agents uh, that handled all the adults. So it was a big bustling office with a lot going on, actors in and out all the time. Um, and all these agencies would have their children's department, which consisted of, you know, one, two or three other agents as well. So yeah, they're completely separate entities. That's amazing to me. I, I really, I, that I had no clue about. I thought it was just like one person took care of everything for you. Well, no, 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 because everyone has their specialty, their relationships. You know, there's there's the commercial casting directors, and that's all they do. They don't cast TV shows. They just cast commercials and the ad agencies. I mean, Mad Men is probably one of the best shows you can watch to experience what that evolution was like in advertising. When it, when it moved from simply print and having your picture taken and put into a print ad until television commercials became a thing and ad agencies then advertising agencies became the driving force in creating commercial, like the commercial industry on television, period. So then they would hire the casting people and the production companies and dictate what they wanted to sell the product they represented, et cetera, and the people they wanted mm -hmm. to represent that product. So it's always been commercially, uh, so it sounds so funny, but commercially driven where film and TV is a little bit more obviously theatrical and artistic and has a whole different sensibility. So at this time, while you're doing this, you're getting commercials, you get there, you start, you start landing some commercials and yeah. you are, you, you're aware at this time that you're already thinking you have an obsession that you have to be in something Disney related. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because not too long. I mean, I did a lot of commercials initially. That was primarily what I did and I wanted to do TV shows. And, and um, before I knew it, I, there we go, Club Soda again. <laughs> my commercial agent, um, who's one of the loves of my life, Kali Vidal is her name. And um, she, she really believed in me. She, she thought I could do a whole lot more than I was doing in commercials. And she had a relationship, I think, with the casting director from Gunsmoke. And she heard somehow heard about i don't know if it came through the agency or, or 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 she just heard about it that they were looking for um you know a character a child my age and there was an open casting call for it so she ended up getting me an audition and that was not her specialty you know she was she strictly dealt with commercials but somehow she called them up said you need to see this kid and i went in and i got it um and it was a super fun episode of of Gunsmoke called Eleven Dollars, and I worked very closely with Ken Curtis, who played Festus on the show. But that was the first um, they call it theatrical theatrical part I got. And once I got that, then she was she then facilitated my theatrical career by getting me auditions for other TV shows until she finally had to say, "I can't do this. You need an actual theatrical agent. You need to find someone else because I'm." I'm taking time away from my commercial clients to concentrate on this. You're going to be fine. And I was a little, I was almost a little hurt because I loved her sure. so much. She's such a great God. She was just a great lady. And I had so many good experiences with the people I work with um, that work. I worked with work for me, et cetera. In, in the business, they all, they all were so invested in the, the, the passion of what they did. And she was one of them and she was right. I needed to have a theatrical agent. Um, so that's how that then started to unfold. And then I realized, you know, of course, getting going onto a studio lot, commercials are different. You work on stu st sound stages and 
in in studios but it's 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 you know it's a one day thing you're in you're out it's it's a high very high pressure commercials are super high pressure um uh, acting jobs and and not that other ones aren't but the second i did that gun smoke and i thought oh no i really like this i like this a whole <laughs> lot better because it was like five days of work um you know i got to know people i was at the cbs radford um lot where they had all their standing gun smoke sets and the sound sound stage was there with you know the with the the main street you know um gosh whatever the the town was called in Gunsmoke. It was just like, okay, this is beyond magical. And so my imagination is is now moving over to Disney and how magical that must be. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, no, I'd have to, I, <laughs> I have to, I have to, I just have something has to happen. It just has to happen. Well, let's talk about Witch Mountain then. When did you first start hearing about the project? Um, in, in, I'm sorry. In what sense do you mean? Like that they were going to be making a movie of this, that you were, because you said you didn't know that you were, what you were auditioning for. Did you know that you were auditioning for this particular no, project? No, 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 I didn't. I didn't. And even though my father read the trades re religiously, which is, you know, um, Variety and the Hollywood Reporter, that's where most people learn about the productions that are going on in town. It, it wasn't anything that we were necessarily aware of. So I, you know, I don't know even back then if Disney even put those things out into the trades until they were cast and real, you know, moving forward um, in that way. So I had no idea what it was. I didn't even know it was a movie because you didn't, because, you know, they have their TV shows for the wonderful world of Disney. Right. Then they had their movies that they cast. So I just never knew. I never knew what it was. So when did you find, when did you find out that this was for, what this once was I for. did a screen test, once I did a screen test, that was the first time that you ever knew yeah. anything about this. That wow. was it. That was it. And, um, and, um, uh, Kim and I were cast very quickly after the screen test because I have to look at the schedule. Amazing. Let me check the schedule here. Cause yeah, we were on April 5th. Yeah. I mean, the, the first day of shooting, according to this was April 18th. And I'm going to go with that because I don't remember exactly. Did you um, meet any of the other, was. like the, the adult actors during the audition process or no? No, or just, just Kim? no one. No, just Kim oh. and um, John Huff, the director was there to, uh, to audition us. That's, that's when I knew this was a big deal. I mean, I didn't quite understand what a screen test was because mm -hmm. you know, this was, it was common practice um, in Hollywood, obviously, but um what I knew was it was a bigger deal than a callback because we were at the studio, we were being put on film and the director right. was there to talk to us and kind of guide us through what, you know, what, what he wanted us, what he wanted us to do, which was not much. He just said, just be yourselves. That's, that's <laughs> all he ever said. And um, that's exactly what we did. So no, I, uh, until I saw, you know, until he sort of outlined, he said, I'm directing this movie you know, here's what it's about. And he gave us some background. So all of a sudden we knew what this, these dialogue exchanges were about between this brother and, and sister. It all of a sudden started to like mushroom in my head. And I thought, holy cow, wow, this is amazing. And then, you know, it, it was only a matter of days later um, that- You I were auditioning with Kim. Did you did you recognize her from, she's had already oh. been on a regular. 100%. I, I had seen her on Annie the Professor. I, right. I, I mean, I, I consumed all the television I could at that at that time. And 
when I get introduced to her, I, I mean, the, the thing that just hit me immediately was I looked at her and said, holy cow, it's the nanny professor girl. And she hmm. could totally be my sister. I mean, we looked so much alike and I could even see that in, in, in the moment. So um, yeah, the, that, that was something. And even, you know, look at the, at the picture behind you. It's <laughs> freaky to me. No, it's it is. It's a very, day. very similar, very yeah. similar appearance. Yeah. So when did you find out that you got the pub? What was your reaction? I mean, Oh, it was, it was a few days later. And I just, I just, I, I almost like had an out of body experience. I thought, I thought, oh my gosh, you know, not only did I get something Disney, but I got, you know, <laughs> a co-starring role in a Disney movie. And I just thought, this is it. I mean, I, this, this, this is, this is my dream. I'm, I'm going to be able to work, you know, I, they, they broke it all down immediately. They let us know what the production schedule was you know they sent the script to the house i read it as soon as i possibly could i knew it was then learned it was based on a book so i went out and bought the book and and <laughs> i mean i i was overwhelmed and i was completely committed to this entire idea and 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 just just beyond excited i just be i i, I it's it's very hard to describe it's very hard to describe because it's you know, not many children, you know, you, you get, you might get your, your, your dream present, you know, when you're 11 years old of or an actual race car or something like that, but it just doesn't compare to having so much desire and having built this, this, Im I mean, I, I, I spent so much time visualizing myself in a disney project i mean every time every sunday night watching the wonderful world of disney and there would be a kid in it i think gosh man that could be me i wish it was me i would just so god it would be so great if i could get a chance to oh, do something sweet. like that for them and, <laughs> and and so and then here i here 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 i was and yeah so i just as i often say i was in the boat heading down the river full steam ahead i was i was i was into it so much so <laughs> <laughs> when I when I learned that Tony um, played the harmonica for uh, to to cult uh, to implement his telekinetic powers, I I panicked because I thought no one ever asked me if I could play the <laughs> harmonica, and I, I I thought man I'm probably gonna have to learn how to play the harmonica. So I told my mom I have to buy one. I have to buy one. I have to learn how to play. I have to learn how to play. And she took me to a novelty shop in in Hollywood, and I picked out this harmonica and took it back home and started trying to learn how to play. Cause I just knew one day I was on the set, I was going to be asked <laughs> to play and I was going to be stuck and have to tell John Huff, the director, I don't know how to play. <laughs> so yeah, I was that, uh, I was that serious about it. <laughs> so you get on the set and let's go to some of these names. I mean, you have Eddie Albert, Donald Pleasance, Denver Pyle, Ray Milan, Rita Shaw, who had been in many other things, including Mary Poppins. And, you know, were you aware of their histories? I mean, did that make an impression on you at all? Well, yeah, Rita Shaw, Rita Shaw, especially because she was, we worked with her on our very first day. It's like we shot the film in, in as much script, uh, script order as possible. Um, even though initially we were on location and all this, the interior stuff had, was, was shot on the, at, uh, at the studio later on. But that first day, the, the opening shots of the film, Kim and I in the van pulling up to the orphanage and getting out and having our scene with Reda, with Reda Shaw and the scene inside with her and truck and all that happened on the first day. And she 
that's who she was. I mean, she, she epitomized Disney to me. I mean, she was in so many Disney projects mm -hmm. that she was very much a part of that image. And it just, everything I kept encountering as I started to work on the film just reaffirmed that I'm working on a Disney project. You know, it, it, it just, it, it, it was very over overwhelming. And yes, I knew Eddie Alba from Green Acres. Of course, I grew up watching Green Acres. I knew Ray Milan from the movies I watched on Saturday afternoons. Uh, I knew who he was. I knew who Donald Pleasance was from the movies I'd seen. And it was, it was just like all of a sudden these people that had entertained me and decorated my world through the television and through the movie screen were suddenly now I'm like working with them. And it's going to be so surreal. They're, I mean, not intimidated. It's no, you know what? I, I was, I, I don't know why I was never in, intimidated by anybody. Cause I mean, first of all, you know, I started working with major people, even in commercials. I mean, commercials had actors who are incredible performers and people I was familiar with even through their commercial work. So I got used to working with professional with professional actors, even if they were well-known very quickly, like on, Gunsmoke, you know, Ken Curtis, I, I watched him every week, you know, for years. And I think the thing that often the, the, I was the most interested in was how much they were actually like their characters and how much they weren't <laughs> like their characters. And Ken Curtis was absolutely, he was that, he talked that way. He wore his spurs everywhere. <laughs> he, you know, you heard him coming from a distance because you hear clang, clang, clang. Oh, Ken's on his way to the set. You know, so it was, those kinds of things had been a part of my professional life. You know, even Bo Bridges, I had seen him and I forgot what famous film he had done at the time. I forget the name of it, but I'd seen him in, in movies. And, you know, you, you get, you, when you're an actor and you don't just stand there and look at somebody like somebody perhaps who's a fan or is having a, you know, an encounter with someone for a brief period of time, it's kind of hard to get that surreal sense that you're looking at this person, you see him up on the screen and you're interacting with them, but you just very quickly get into the, I get very quickly into the professional mode of, of, of who I'm working with. And, you know, I get over all of that very quickly. And of course they do their part. They know their movie stars. They know they, they know they're well-known and it's, it always impressed me how much they wanted to make me feel welcome and comfortable um, you know, in breaking the ice and all that very, very fast. Well, that's all I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you a little bit of a rundown. Were they, were they all very welcoming to you? I mean, very like, you know, you know, nice. And, you know, like, I know this is a kid. I know, you know, no ego, like, let's say. Oh, ab completely, completely. The only person that threw me um, was Eddie Albert, because when we were first introduced to him, he was extremely gruff and he was very off-putting <laughs> and he was not very welcoming. He didn't talk to us. He didn't want to deal with us. Um, he did his own thing. And I, I thought, wow, okay. You know, I mean, if, well, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, 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 it was kind of my first time running into something that, that where there was a little bit of a wall there, but I started to realize as we continued to work, he was just a method actor. He was playing the, the, the curmudgeon that hated the kids that didn't want anything to do with the kids. So he's, that's how he treated us. And as his character warmed up to us over the course of shooting, he warmed up to us in the same way. And actually Eddie and I became quite 
quite close, very comfortable together. We did lunches together and he would, That's... you know, he, you know, shared a lot of stories with me and, you know, talked to me about it. Cause he was very much an environmental activist, um, even way back then. And, um, you know, he wanted to just educate me about things like DDT, you know, that I didn't really know anything about. And, and, uh, you know, all these things that he was involved in. So he, he, you know, wanted to impart that on a younger generation and it was very impactful for me. So, you know, so that ended up being, being probably one of my closer relationships when it started out, <laughs> I was scared to death of him. <laughs> I'll, I'll say something blasphemous to you. Probably. I, I just, I mean, I took theater in college and I never made a professional like you and everything. I don't get all the people that go so heavily into method acting. You're acting. Be, play the part. You know, you don't have you don't have to be this this like jerk. And not that not that Eddie Albert was. I'm saying you don't have to be like this jerk. Like a lot of people say off screen, don't talk to me. I'm in my character. Just call me by my character's name. You're getting paid to act. Act. You know? I you know, and, and I have to agree with you. As as much <laughs> of a, a dyed in the wool artist I am, I never quite understood that because I I even watching Eddie do that, and I ended up trying to think other method actors I, I i worked with um you know they stayed in character the whole time and i used to think my gosh that just sounds so exhausting sure. you yes. know you pour so much energy when you're when the camera's rolling and the time that you're working like by the time it stops and i get a break no i want to go play cribbage and you know and 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 have some lemonade i'm exhausted uh <laughs> so i i never quite understood that myself but that's the you know a lot of very successful actors work that way so there it is let me ask a little bit about each the other ones uh, donald pleasant how was he he was as actually as lovely as you could possibly imagine and just as quirky and eccentric as he appears on screen i mean you know that's I've never worked with one of the, with, with, I've never really worked with an actor who so immersed themselves in the character that it was different from who they, who they were personally. You know, there's always so much about who you are that you bring to the table. So quite often the weirdos that you see on screen, they're kind of weirdos in real life, but I mean, he was a quirky weirdo in the sweetest, most most adorable way you could imagine i just i fell in love with him he he adored both kim and i he was sweet to both of us he rehearsed with us a lot because he liked to rehearse a lot and go over the lines and mess you know try different things and so we would run lines with him a whole lot and you know you find that's everybody's different that way ray, ray milan was was so much kinder and softer than than his character came across but he was just as austere and and you know, bigger than life, classy. I mean, he really, he really had a movie star quality that old style studio movie style quality that he, he brought to the, to the part as well as to the set. He just, he looked like that all the time. <laughs> and he'd been so many, you know, things, so many big things, you know, yeah. throughout his career before this. So yeah. Yeah. And, and this um, is reader. Rita Shaw's last role. I don't know if you you knew that. Too. Oh no, you know what? Gosh, I did not know that. I did yeah. not. Okay, that's that's very strange. No, I I did not know that. But I I don't even know. I need to look and see how many Disney projects she was in because she was just in. She was just in so much. Yeah, I, I was looking through each of their IMDb's, and this was her last role. Yeah, so I was wow. I was surprised wow. at that. That's interesting. 
Okay, now I asked, I asked you this before, and I just want to go over it because I want this on, on video. You know, let's get it on the record. As a kid, I remember being angry, but looking at it again as an adult, seriously, what the hell was up with Mrs. Grindley handing you over to, to the characters like that? Just <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that I, I, think, I think even I, at my very, very impressionable young age, kind of had a weird problem with that because I... I, you know, I, I did like learn you want the very, kids. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, yeah, sure. You got documents. That's, that's <laughs> fine. Um, I think they tried to smooth that over somehow that, you know, he had all the correct court orders and all that stuff, but it still seems very strange that there was an entire process that would have <laughs> happened. You know, that, that suspension of disbelief is, is a, is a little, is a little nuts, but um, I remember even that bothering me as a kid. And it was just and looking at it again. I watched the movie again recently and, and uh, my kids love the movie now too, but we all like, you know, what the hell's up with that? You know, just well, any it, guy it comes is, in off the street, give me children. All right here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's actually creepy on so many other levels too, <laughs> that we won't even go into, but you know, they, they try the dialogue between Kim and I tries to smooth it over by, you know, Kim asking a question. I, I forgot what the words are necessarily, but you know, do we really have to do this? And I say, that's what these papers mean. You know, it's like, okay, so that makes it okay with us. We have no choice. So I guess we're just gonna, you know, jump into a car with this guy and, and go away somewhere <laughs> it now, is funny I, more importantly how awesome was it to get to use magic powers in a movie well you know but and i i've, I've that said age this, that you were <laughs> i've i've said this in other other interviews as well and i'm happy to repeat it it was more fun than a kid should be allowed to have period mm-hmm. especially on a on a movie set and you know i knew when i read the script there was a lot of special effects and that was something that i really did want to be a part of because all the Disney movies I loved from, you know, Flubber to um, Herbie the Love Bug and, you know, the Kurt Russell films, there were, there was always something magical and outrageous about them. And there were, there were all these special effects involved. And not only did I want to see how these things were done, but I couldn't wait to be a part of doing them myself. And, um, and to me, that was probably the most the most fun for me as a performer, as well as a child, as well as just a dreamer, getting to do all the things that I got to do because they were special. And this is, you know, back, this is 1970, you know, 74 when we shot it, you know, these were the days of analog effects. Everything was done on set at the time. There's nothing digital. You know, there there were photographic effects that we did later, obviously the flying RV and things Mm -hmm. like that. But Everything was practical by fishing line and wires and, you know, tricks and things like that. And, and as a performer, I had to, as well as Kim, we both had to make something that was completely unreal seem real. And, and that was just, that was just an incredible amount of fun. And, you know, even my first day, my very first day, I did the softball catch. It was the first day on set. I get wired into a harness that I'd been fitted for. I'd never worn it before. And it was like these, it was like this crazy contraption was, I I call them my steel shorts because they were steel plates wrapped around my hips, sewn into leather with bolts sticking out. I got attached to this crane with this piano wires pulling me in the air. It was supervised by, um, by the special effects um, gentleman who actually created the rig for, for um, Julie Andrews, for Mary Poppins. 
it had been used many times but he had supervised her and all her work on mary poppins and he was supervising me and what you know what work we did on which mountain so you know the magic just just kept getting deeper and deeper for me every time i turned around the special effects guys were special effects guys that had worked on a bunch of other movies and they had this box of like i called it the magic box the box of magic trucks they had every nerdy doodad kind of thing that you could imagine to put things together and make it happen and make it happen invisibly it was just incredible the, it's amazing that the very first day that you that you're shooting the film you get to fly oh <laughs> oh i know I know that it was just, I, I could hardly get over myself. It was like, I kept moving from one cool thing to the next cool thing. And initially they were going to have a, they had a stunt double there to do it for me. And um, there You're was like a the big discussion. Yeah, no, no, I, for sure. I, I wanted, I definitely wanted to do it, but there was a big discussion because, you know, it's, 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 it's borderline dangerous. You know, I was pulled <laughs> 14 feet or 12, 12, probably about 12. I, I've never been able to kind of guesstimate how high, but 12 feet in the air which means you're coming down from 12 feet in the air. That's never a good thing, you know, for, for anybody. So the whole process was obviously designed around safety. It was designed around, you know, um, that's one of the things that Disney was incredible about was just how safe everything was, no matter what, no matter how small or big. And, um, and I, and, um, you know, there was a, a, a minor negotiation about it because Irene Burke, who was our, teacher and welfare worker on the set who was there obviously to do our school work that we have to do when we're not shooting but uh, the, the, the they call them state welfare workers because that is the position they they also assume they represent the state of california and they have the legal authority to shut down a production if there's anything dangerous if a child is put in any kind of danger they're the ones that steps in and says no even if the kid may want to do it or doesn't know any better or the parents don't know any better they have authority over the over the parents as well so she they are always on set watching everything that is going on at all times and when this came up she was like okay i think we need to talk about this because she looked at the rig she saw the i mean it was a, a freaking crane that like you know the arm went up 25 feet in the air what? and it's got wires hanging from it and they got padding back there but but clearly if if i came loose at, at 12 oh feet <laughs> even with the padding and it wasn't like a big poofy thing it was like these foam pads that are only about this thick scattered out on the ground there's gonna be some broken bones so we had to have this whole discussion between my father and Irene and John Huff, the special effects guys, and they, they all talked. And then everyone turned to me and said, Ike, do you want to do this? And I said, absolutely. <laughs> I can't think of not doing it. So I have to do this. And I, I whatever, whatever it took to allow me the chance to do it, I, I, uh, I, I, you know, I was willing to agree to. And so we ended up spending, you know, a, a couple of hours, you know, practicing and rehearsing and, doing it very slowly and building our way up to it. So it, it, there was a whole process to it. And my favorite part of the story of that is, is, is that the only time we ever actually completed the entire stunt, and I'll call it a stunt because it was complicated. Not only two guys are pulling on a pulley, pulling down as I'm jumping up. So they're lifting me in the air, but I'm jumping with them. So we get to you get to the apex of the jump, and at the apex of the jump, a guy blind on the other side of those hedges is sitting on a ladder with a softball. He's got to throw it to me at just <laughs> the right time so I can catch it. And we never once completed it. 
in rehearsal. <laughs> it never worked. It never worked. I he'd throw it this way, and I'd spin around, and you know, then they'd lower me slowly back down. And we kept trying to coordinate it and get it all to get sunk up together, and it just didn't. It just wasn't happening. And John was getting nervous, and I was starting to get nervous. And I finally just said. I said to John, can we just go ahead and shoot it? Cause I think we're rehearsing it too much, you know, and, and I, I had the sensibility even at that age to realize, you know what, under the pressure of a real take this, it might all just all come together. And sure enough, it did. That was the only take that we ever did. It was a one take we shot. We never mm. shot another one. We didn't need to, it was a print because it was successful. And that was the only time I ever caught that softball <laughs> that, that day, but man, that was thrilling. That was, that was well, really thrilling. <laughs> You're a professional. You saved it for the camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you when you go go back and look at think about the movie now, what comes to mind for you? Well, it's everything comes to mind every time I see a frame from the film. You know, even I, every time I see a scene from the film, or I sit down to watch the film again, and I've I've watched it many times, and I've I'm have mentioned this before for, you know, working on my memoir. Um, I think one of the things that, that um, reinforced all my memories from my childhood and working on the shows I did was because I've, se I've seen them so many times. I've seen, you know, I've, uh, my gun smoke, I've seen numerous times and, and which mountain I've seen numerous times. And every time I see it, it, I, I, I don't see the movie. I see everything that's going on on the set, behind the scenes, on the stage. And that's what comes to mind. And the memories come flooding back to me every single, every single time. Um, so it, it, I, I, you know, I couldn't give you a, a documented, you know, experiences of every day on the set. But I remember every day on the set. Mm -hmm. I have recollections of every day because every scene we're in nearly every scene of the film. So every one of those scenes has a story behind it. There's something going on. There's something that was happening, whether club soda, whether the scene you know, worked, went well, or sometimes problems happened or unexpected things happened. Um, when I see them, I see, I see all of that. I see all of that. And I'm very grateful for it. You have so many good, great anecdotes. I don't want to take away from the memoir because you have so many great anecdotes in the memoir itself. Uh, <laughs> what though you do, I mean, just I love and I, I'm always thankful that I got to read it. But you know, there was one with the gorilla, you know, making noise in the mansion with the suitcase. <clears throat> so. Yeah, it that was that was probably the most bizarre experience I've ever had shooting anything. Period. We were working. Um, the mansion that served as uh, Bolt, Aristotle Bolt's mansion is actually an existing structure. It's in Carmel, California, on the you know the famous 16, 16 mile drive, I think that's what it's called, where it's a scenic drive through Carmel, and you see all these massive homes and all you know um, you know the ocean off to the side, and, and it's it's out there, and it was actually a fascinating structure the story behind that's fascinating in and of itself because it was um built by um gosh and I, i'm forgetting his name but this very eccentric um music composer who actually worked on the wizard of oz he was very successful in the studio days and he'd work on the the, the music for the wizard of oz made a ton of money in the business he and his wife were very 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 eccentric people and um 
allowed Disney to come shoot in their home, hmm. basically their home. This this house was apparently the stones were cut in Europe. They were shipped out to this location. It was built on site there. At least that was the you know the the story that that I heard. Whether or not that's true, I I don't know. But it was like a museum. The inside of this place was like a museum. There was art from all over the world, all kinds of interesting things that just fascinated me. But we didn't get to see very much because we were we were roped off from all the rooms that we weren't supposed to be in and only allowed to be in the rooms that we were we were shooting in. And my just we never really met them. We saw the owners kind of floating around here and there. They were dressed very strange. They acted very odd. And the first thing that really showed me that, that, that they were quite bizarre was one day during lunch, um, the lady came out with this big bag of something. And as she came, came walking out to the front, like quite the front walkway there that you see on the film, she suddenly tears the back open and pours it out. It was like 25 pounds of kibble or something. And as soon as that stuff hit the pavement, swarms of cats came out of <laughs> everywhere i mean every nook and cranny and i hadn't seen any cats anywhere which was so strange because it was like it was like something out of another a horror movie they just appeared running down the mountain the, the cliffs and over the rocks and at least 50 or 60 cats suddenly gathered around and were all climbing all over each other to eat this stuff up until they ate all the food and then they <laughs> all disappeared and i thought oh okay you know this is a very interesting you know, interesting couple. Well, we were shooting the dining room scene in the dining room of 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 the of, of the castle. They call it the castle, the mansion, and it was a very long scene with Ray Milan and Donald Pleasance and, and and Kim and I. And it was very hot, very hot and uncomfortable um, working conditions. And we knew we were going to be there all day long. And and so you know, we were managing it as best we could. But at a certain point. All of a sudden, we heard this thump thump sound, and everybody kind of looked around in the middle, the middle of the take. You know, Kim and I are kind of like going, "Oh, what, what's that?" Thump 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 thump, and then they called cut, and we waited a little while and it stopped. And we tried to shoot again. Then we hear thump 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 thump, and no one can figure out what is going on. So we stopped shooting. We broke for lunch because John said we can't do this because the the sound was loud enough that it was the audio was picking it up and it was interfering with our, with our dialogue. And it was a really deep, bassy thump sound. So we break for lunch and, um, and one of the assistant directors has to scuttle off and go talk to um, one of the owners and, and see if he can find out what it is. And if we can, you know, they could somehow, you know, stop whatever the noise is. And now I never saw any of this. I just heard the stories <laughs> later but suddenly the, the, the story just ran through the entire crew so quickly that the sound was actually coming from a level below in kind of the bowels of this castle in a room where these two people kept their pet gorilla. They had a pet gorilla living on the premises. And what he was doing was throwing a car tire against the wall. And he only did that when he was hungry. So... <laughs> He was literally slinging a car tire, boom, boom, against the walls. Oh my God. So she went down, fed him. He was happy, and he stopped throwing his car tire around. 
And I just went, wow. I mean, my <laughs> goodness, you know, welcome I mean, to Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, there it is. There it is. <laughs> now, now both, I, I was looking through all the history of it, both Siskel and Ebert gave it pretty good reviews, but at the time it, it was a hit, but it wasn't a massive hit. When did that start to change from just like a Disney, a Disney movie that was a hit to this beloved classic? When did that start, that change start occurring? Well, I think it probably, um, it was successful enough for Disney that they clearly wanted to do a sequel, you know, a second Witch Mountain film, Return from Witch Mountain, which we did about three. Did they talk about a sequel right away? No, 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 not at all. I didn't, I didn't hear about it until, um, you know, until, uh, until we started seeing it in the, in, in the trades actually. Um, and the primary reason we started to see it in the trades was because they'd asked Betty Davis to be in the film and she agreed or either she said she wanted to do a Disney project and they, they, you know, either created the part for her. Now that I think about it, that could have been a possibility because she said she had wanted to do something for Disney because she wanted to do something that her, her grandchildren could right. see. And so it just, the, that buzz went everywhere really, really fast that she was doing this disney film and it was going to be a remake of escape to which not remake a sequel to escape to which mountain and so um yeah and then the, the, they obviously contacted me around the same time to give me my schedule for you know being in it what the shooting schedule was going to be and 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 all of that because i was under contract with disney by then so um so it was it was another project that was tacked on to um, my contract. And I think to me, yeah, Disney, it, Witch Mountain wasn't hugely successful, but it did very well. It did very well on a par with a lot of other Disney films from that time, because, you know, Disney movies weren't necessarily blockbusters because they were family films. Family films weren't blockbusters. And, and so they, they, they would do a kind of a guaranteed box office take and, and and they were very um, predictable that way, and I think Witch Mountain fell into that, and it fell into it in a nice way because Witch Escaped Witch Mountain is a very different style movie yep. for Disney. It had all the effects, and it has you know children, you know children in jeopardy, which which is a big thing with Disney. But the whole style of it was so kind of dark and very different for them, and. And it was questionable as to exactly how successful it was going to be. So the success it had initially in its theatrical release, we really celebrated because it was very, very different from other things. So I think by the time, I think I thought it was going to have a good, but see, then again, at the time, we didn't know what a good life meant. There was no VHS yet. You know, there, were, there was no ancillary media to perpetuate um, a you know, to perpetuate any movie title uh, for that matter. So by the time we did Return from Witch Mountain, and I, I, I don't even know when, you know, we did a show about it and I still can't remember it, it, what the kind of the date was where, the, the, you know, the time period when VHS tapes became available for purchase, they became available for rent. Um, but once that started, I certainly knew as an enthusiast that this was going to be a big deal in the, in the industry. And when they chose Escape to Witch Mountain, when VHS came out as one of the 10 first films that Disney was releasing on the new format, I thought, wow, this is a big deal. Well, that's the question. Did VHS now push this into another level? 
Yeah, 100%. Because there was, you know, VHS tapes were so expensive because it cost like 80, 85 bucks back in the, in the, in right. the beginning. So very few people actually bought them. But then the video rental stores opened up and it was available everywhere. You could rent it, you know, you could rent it all the, all the time. And so that started, I knew once that happened, I started getting recognized more. It's like I had this period of time where I was being recognized for the film when it was in its theatrical release, obviously, because people were used to like all of a sudden they saw the movie and then they saw me and they made the connection. But then when the VHS craze hit, that then um, increased its exposure because uh, then people were going back and watching it. And, and then the DVD releases came out and that just pushed it again. Cause I mean, it's been, it's been out on DVD at least God, half, almost half a dozen times, I think four, right. four or five times. Um, not only the first DVD, but then the double DVD and then a re-edition of the DVD. And then hmm. same thing with return from Witch mountain when race to Witch mountain, the, you know, the, the remake came out, they, 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 Disney just kept feeding, um, you know, feeding the market with, with, with more versions but I think personally, what really then took took off in a huge way, and this this might have started happening before the DVDs came out. The Hallmark Channel licensed the film to play, and I swear to you, it played every single day on the Hallmark Channel for over a year, something wow. like that, a really long time. And I could be not exaggerating i could be inaccurate about this but it could have been every weekend something like that but all of a sudden everyone i ran into said oh my gosh i just saw escape Witch mountain on the hallmark channel i just saw it on the hallmark channel i just saw it on the hallmark channel and this was just this went on for the longest period of time and that hit right about when family you know the, the people who grew up with the film were having their own children hmm. and their children were growing up and all of a sudden it's on television and they're saying, Oh, you need to watch this movie. And they were sharing it with their kids. And so it was hitting in second generation. And that just then took off from there. Cause I know a lot of people who, who didn't see it unless their parents had exposed them to it. And then all of a sudden, it, it, you know, it, it, Disney plus has of course turned it into a whole nother thing again, because it now it's, it's, it's on there hopefully forever. Well, that's we'll that's see. a good thing because i'm sure it will be but i went through like the disney releases the movies of the 70s and there were a lot of movies that disney released at that time that disney plus isn't even holding you know showing them some of them and your your movie is this beloved classic and a lot of these others were forgotten and they all came out at the same mm -hmm. you know the same few years within the same age you know year range i guess yeah but i, I know you know, the, the thing that I hear constantly about people who were really impacted by watching Escape to Witch Mountain, it was such a unique story in that it, it, it spoke, it spoke, you know, it spoke to children who feel like outsiders, because we were obviously outsiders, we were actual aliens from another planet, we didn't belong here, we truly were outsiders, but that, that I think the movies back in the seventies that tapped into that, the psyche of that are still beloved to this day because, because it was, it was kind of the, 
I feel like it was kind of the first time in Disney movie history that they that 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 happened. There's movies we love, okay? They're great works of art, the animated ones and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and Mary Poppins and they're incredible entertainment. They make you feel so good and they're so lovely to watch, but they don't really they tap into magic, but Witch Mountain tapped into two other levels of magic. I mean, just some something something that was that was so um that was so part of so many young people's experience and they suddenly identified with tni you know as being these outsiders who who actually had the means to defend themselves in a, in a world bullying them and how amazing that idea is and it still you know chokes me up to this day because i i think about that all the time i thought it was very very powerful probably more powerful than you know the, the quality of the movie itself. And I think that got into people's minds and people carry that around um, lovingly. And I, and I deeply appreciate it, but I think that's a big part of, of its success in terms of revisiting it because it reminds people of those things they went through and perhaps their children are, are going through. And, and, you know, that here are these two kids that were able to, to persevere in, you know, in, in a world that was actually out to use them, you know, I think you hit it on the head. I, 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 the very first interaction I had with you, I mentioned that to you, that that's how I felt as a kid. So watching it. So, yeah, I, and I think that definitely hits and, you know, keeps it in, a, I guess, the public consciousness about that. You know, people who grew up at that time and they want to show it to their kids. Like, you know, I showed it to my kids, the same thing. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I, I guess that totally uh, does it. I just I was just amazed at how many other movies came out at that time that are probably forgotten now that Disney released yeah. too. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember seeing them in the theaters too, but none had this staying power. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure there's so many that I'm completely unaware of because I didn't get out to see everything, um, everything that was released. Um, but, but you know, I'm, I'm eternally grateful and incredibly proud to have been a part of that and been partially responsible for it. You know, I mean, you know, I, I, you know, Kim and I had such a unique opportunity with such a unique movie, and it, and it and it really paid off. It really paid off in in a very big way, and I'm I'm grateful. Well, I just if you don't mind, I, I just want to touch upon at least a little bit. Return from Witch Mountain. Oh, sure, absolutely. So, yeah, I just you know you get back like you you just mentioned you have Betty Davis and Christopher Lee, <clears throat> and you were with the you were with stars in the first movie okay you were with people who were like you know bona fide stars not like betty davis I mean, this is a different stratosphere no she's now, a, did that, how did that to impact you i mean well you go she, in- she was a completely different animal altogether i mean i i i will say i i was intimidated 100 she's probably the only um performer i've ever had to face where i was absolutely nervous um, she already had a reputation as being difficult in Hollywood and whatever that means, you know, whatever <laughs> that means, the stories were everywhere. And, you know, people were saying, Oh my God, you got to work. That's great. You're working with Betty, but who knows what she's going to be like. And it's like, so many people were kind of warning me and making me feel concerned about that. I do want to interject and, one thing with Betty Davis story. If yeah. you want to hear a great Betty Davis story, everyone who's watching this, 
go watch the Brad Savage pop culture retro interview. <laughs> but yeah, 100%. I won't here, but yes. yeah, I won't either. That's his, that's his story. Right. Um, and it is related to return from Witch mountain. So you'll, right. you'll, you'll, you'll enjoy it, but I'm sorry, uh, go ahead. Yes. yeah, no, no, that's all right. Um, so yeah, I didn't know, I did not know what to think. And, um, and, and of course, you know, by the, by the time I worked on return from Witch mountain, I was, um, a, a, a few years older and extremely aware of her work. Not that I wasn't aware of anybody else's, but of course, Betty Davis, I'd seen her in so many things mm -hmm. and of course admired her incredibly and was thrilled at the honor of being on this, you know, being able to work with her in any capacity. But I was as nervous as well. But I tell you the first day, the first time I met her, it was like, it was like, it all just disappeared. It all just disappeared. She introduced herself. She says, we're going to be doing working so much together. You know, I said, Ms. I called her Ms. Davis. She says, no, it's, it's, it's Betty. It's Betty. Just don't do that. Cause you know, it's going to get so old by the time we're done with this film. <laughs> so she, she completely disarmed me immediately. She was hilarious. Incredible sense of humor, dry wit. She and Christopher Lee were constantly telling stories and, and laughing and, joking and and they, they made it so much fun and i will say i just i would sit in in awe and look at these two and say you know i'm sitting in a in the back seat of a car with betty davis and christopher <laughs> lee and they're telling Absolutely. old hollywood stories and you know in dirty jokes they, they told some off-color jokes in in that classy way that only you know major movie stars can, can do but i will say she kept the crew and on their toes all the time because she was not going to let anyone off the hook. She was a movie star. She wanted to be treated like a movie star. Although she, you know, she didn't, she, she, she wasn't a diva in the sense that she was difficult. She was just demanding and demanding in ways that I found completely appropriate. You know, <laughs> she wanted her tea when she wanted her tea. She wanted water when she wanted her water. She wanted an umbrella over her seat sitting out in downtown Los Angeles in the heat of, you know, on a hot day. And and it was like, you know, why is this not already here? You know, come on, I need this. <laughs> so people were jumping and scrambling all the time and they were nervous. They were constantly nervous. And she would just wink at me all the time. And and and, and <laughs> that's and, awesome. That is great, though. That you know, just that. just just to say, <laughs> you know, this you know, she wasn't mean about it, but, but they would, they would run and scramble to make sure she was taken care of. And I loved that. I loved it. And I could never do it. I could never <laughs> do anything like that. It, it just, you know, no matter what stage I was at, even on Fantastic Journey, the series I worked on when I'm, you know, I'm a co-star of the show, right? Along with Roddy McDowell, you know, I couldn't be demanding about my chair or demanding about this or that. I just, it just always felt wrong because we're all there to work together. Um, but, you know, she'd been around for a long time. And you get away with sets, it without It's much. hard. Yeah it's, yeah, it's hard. It's hard work. And you sit around a lot and it gets very boring. And, you know, you, 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 you she should have been taken care of. I mean, she's yes. royalty for goodness sakes. And I, 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 I like to say that, you know, Betty Davis epitomizes what, what, movie stars call movie stars movie stars look at betty davis and say no that's a star that's oh, what a star is 100%, and, yeah. and she carried that aura with her all the time but she didn't take it seriously that was the thing <laughs> she let me in on her joke and i just thought wow i'm i'm this is privileged i'm i'm, I'm breathing rare air here because because she 
you know, would nudge me and, and, you know, you, just, you, you remember any of the gossipy stories that her and Christopher Lee told? <laughs> I don't. That's the thing that kills me. That's the thing that kills me. I cannot remember any of those stories. And, you know, I, I, I was such a busy young person and I, I'm going to jump back to the beginning of, of working on Escape Witch Mountain for a moment because I, I, I regret I was not a documenter. I didn't write in a diary. I didn't take notes of things. And, and I kind of wish I, 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 I certainly wish I had because, you know, th there's, there's so much, there's so much life and history there that is simply lost because I, I can't remember the stories. Mm -hmm. But when I, when I flew out to work on Escape to Witch Mountain, my parents gave me a present and the present was a diary that had Mickey Mouse on the cover and, you know, Disney on it, yes. something, something that they'd bought from, from, um, from, from Disneyland in a Mickey Mouse pen. And they said, you know, here, this is just to write down your memories because this is, I mean, they knew this was going to be an important experience. And they, they, you know, they, they suggested I write these things down so that, you know, I would remember them one day and never forget them. And my first day of shooting was so long and so exhausting. And I went back to my hotel room and I thought, I looked at the diary, it was sitting next to my bed and I thought, well, I need to open it up and I need to start, I need to start doing this and write some things down. And I did, I wrote half a page and as I'm writing in it, I just went, <laughs> <laughs> I fell dead asleep in my bed and I woke up the next morning with it still on my chest. And I thought, there's no way I can do this. It's too much, it's too much work. So I never became a documentarian in, in, in that way, which is, which is sad, but I do, I remember so many things that, um, that I think it makes up for it at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. I, I enjoyed, you know, I, I liked Return from Rich Mountain. I enjoyed it. And one thing that I noticed now, and, it, and I never realized it as a kid, so it didn't make it to me at all. Escape to Witch Mountain, you and Kim have such great chemistry, which is why the film succeeded and why, you know, why it's become a classic, then they keep you apart for the entire next movie. <laughs> I know, so. I know, I, 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 I know. It's, it's, um, I don't know, maybe it made sense. You know, maybe it made sense that that's, that was part of the, you know, the dilemma that, you know, the two, these, these two siblings that are, that are far more connected than most people because of their, you know, their, their alien background being separated is a devastating thing and a scary thing. Maybe that's, you know, what they were, what they were going for. Um, it is, it is interesting. It is interesting, but it also allowed the show to go, the film to go off sure. in two different directions and bring in the earthquake gang and the other kids and the hijinks there. And I often like to say that I feel like return from Witch mountain is more of a traditional Disney movie than escaped, Witch mountain is it's very lighthearted. There's nothing dark about it. Um, there's nothing terribly treacherous about it. Um, it's, it's just a lot of goofy characters, you know, I mean, even Christopher Lee is so over the top. <laughs> he, he, every time I watch it, it just crack. He just cracks me. He cracks me up and he plays it so well at the same time. I mean, I, I just, and, and, and I love all that about it. I love all the silly stuff with the earth. No, it's definitely a different the, tone. Yeah. I mean, just completely, completely different. And, and look, I have people, you know, when I post on social media about, Return from Witch Mountain, they they will say that that's their favorite one, that they like that one better than the first one, which I find fascinating. And I think that's, you know, that's amazing. 
I don't like it better than the first one. I, I enjoyed it. But I just, and, but like I said, it didn't, it didn't even strike me as a child. It's only when watching it as an adult, I'm thinking that's yeah. odd. <laughs> that's, it know. is. It's very, yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's very, it's very odd. Um, and it, yeah, I mean, it, I, I have to agree with you. I have to agree with you, but somehow it made sense. And it's so funny because Kim and I, Kim and I hardly ever even saw each other, you know, during, right. during the shooting. Right. I, I believe it. She and the kids, the other guys were in school. I, I was working on the set, then I was in school while she was out working, and they they. Well, you, well, you got Betty Davis and, and Christopher Lee, so. <laughs> yeah, I got to spend a lot of time with Betty Davis, which is pretty amazing. So so many years go by, and then all of a sudden they start. They say they're going to film a remake in the '90s, and that was universally panned pretty much. Um, I need to go back and see it again because I've not seen it since then. So I, I really forgot a lot. But what were your thoughts when they released it? Was it was, did it annoy you when that came out? I barely even knew about it. I barely okay. even knew about it. I've never seen it. I've, and we've talked about this. I right. have never seen it. I feel like I should just because it's part of my legacy in a, in a way. Um, nobody liked it. I, every time I read about anything, anybody mentions it, it's like, oh God, that horrible attempt at a, at a I've remake. I've not seen it and, since then, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. And it was made for television. And right. I don't know, I don't know. It was, you know, probably aired, it was probably made for ABC back when Disney took over ABC or bought ABC. I'm not sure, I'm not exactly sure. But um, yeah, I've, I've, you know, I've only, I've only seen images from it, and I I I've got, I just I think I have to. I just had a I think you should. I definitely morbid think curiosity. No, I, I, I completely agree. I, you keep reminding me about it, so now I've got to like jot it down somewhere so I put it on my list. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to have to reach out to the kid that played you to get him on one day, <laughs> so that played that played your role. I, I got to look that movie up and see. Well, it's so, it seems so unfair to say, like, we just want to talk to you about this horrible remake you were in <laughs> with the guy who was in the original edit. film. Just, yeah, I'm sure he would enjoy that very much. <laughs> Maybe we'll edit that part out. <laughs> so, so now, uh, again, so later on, you start hearing about they're going to make another feature film about Rich Mountain. They're going to do Race to Witch Mountain. When did you start hearing about that? And did they contact you right away for this? Um. Race to Witch Mountain was shot in 2008, I believe, because the film was released in 2009. I had heard about Disney wanting to do a remake back in um, basically 1998. It was 10 years um, before they actually came up with something that the studio would greenlight. And what I don't know is if, if, cause it was Andrew Gunn, Gunn Films, which is a production company that works, that's based on the lot. Um, I don't know if they still are or not, but I know they were back then. I don't know if they were involved the entire time on behalf of Disney to try to, to, to um, come up with something. But I know I first started hearing about it in the trades. Um, I think one of the first people to try to take a stab that the telling of the story was David Nutter, um, the director, and he was a, I'm sure that's his name. He was a, a, a writer and director on the X-Files. So he was tapped to come up with a, a story and a script and it didn't happen. And then someone else was brought in to try their hand at it and it didn't happen. And I kept hearing every single year, someone else has been attached. Someone else has been attached. It's just not happening. They just can't come up with something that the studio is happy with. 
And it wasn't until the version that finally um, came into being um, did I finally then hear something formal about it in, in any way. And by then I had already, I had retired from the business. I was, I'd moved to Florida. I wasn't paying very close attention to the happenings in Hollywood. So I didn't even know that there was actually a remake um, that had been greenlit at all until I got a random um, and out of the, not random, out of the blue phone call from Andy Fickman, the, the director. And um, he, I got a phone call from him and he said, I'm Andy Fickman. I'm directing the reimagining of Escape to Witch Mountain called Race to Witch Mountain. And I just, I'm such a huge fan of Witch Mountain and I'm so excited to be working on this film. And I would love to know if you would like to um, be involved in it and, and play a small part. And I was like, I started screaming. I was like, so excited. <laughs> I started screaming and I just said, absolutely. I would absolutely be so honored to be involved in, in Did you know way. who was involved and, at this point or no? No, I, I no. But the, my second question was, is Kim um, going to be a part of it? And he said, yes, Kim's on board. I said, great. Well, I can't think of anything better. So I'm, I'm thrilled. And he kind of, described to me how our parts were how he was they were envisioning it they were they were it, you know the whole film was in a reimagining of the of the original and so our parts were essentially kind of reimaginings of what our characters would be like he said it's the kind of thing where um you're there people who know the original film will know it's you guys but the part you're playing could go either way it could be you guys or it could just be the character you're playing and I thought, well, I love this. I loved the whole approach, but but more so that they, you know, and and it was more than a cameo. I mean, I, I yeah. it's considered a cameo, but it was, just, you know, for both Kim and I, there was it was a substantial integrated part of the story. And I thought yep. this this was one of the best integrations, I think, of of characters from an original um, title being worked into a remake of or reimagining, whatever you want to call it. Um, at all so I, I i loved it i loved what they did i had so much fun doing it it was ridiculous um but yeah and 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 he had actually contacted me it was only it only it was a few like within a, a month of when their shooting was beginning and they wanted to to bring kim and i in to do our parts and we were going to spend a week on the set he said you know, Dwayne Johnson was playing the Eddie Albert character. And I thought, oh my God, you know, this is amazing. This is an amazing. Cheech Marin's going to be in it and all these other people. And, and I mean, I was already sold, but Andy kept going on and on about how many people wanted to be involved in this movie once they heard it was being made because they were such huge fans of the original film. And he forewarned me, he said, everyone working on this film is a is an absolute fan of the first one. So just be prepared. And God, I don't want to get choked up again because this happens to me every time. But when I when I when I went, I, I was not prepared. I could not have been prepared because the, the the way our production schedule worked, the sequence that that Kim and I were both primarily in um, was going to take a week to shoot. It was a long sequence. And um, very involved with a lot of moving parts. And they wanted to rehearse one day, which was the Saturday. I flew into Los Angeles on a Friday. 
and then went in for a, just a walkthrough rehearsal day. We're just going to walk through the scene, kind of block everything out, run through the dialogue. So everyone involved, you know, from the choreographer, because it was, you know, the scene takes place in a, like a honky tonk style kind of country Western restaurant bar with dancers and mus live musicians and, and all this other stuff. He just wanted a day to work at this all out and for the lighting people to figure out what they wanted to do. And then they were going to shoot it the next week. So I went to the lot, the Disney lot, and I hadn't been there in a long time. Hmm. Um, and it's just, and it's just like, you know, the Walt Disney studios is my home away from home. I spent, I spent, sure. you know, four summers of my life there and I did, you know, a total of six projects at that studio over a number of years. And, and then even, even in my post on camera acting life, when I was doing voiceover work in, um, in ADR, I worked at Disney at least once, twice, twice a month, two, three times a month. And so I was on the lot for 20 more years huh. on, on a regular basis. It was just, it was just, and I loved it. It's my favorite, my favorite place in the world to be, except the home I live in now. <laughs> so getting to walk back on to the, uh, to the lot again, after, after quite a few years of, of, of being away from it was overwhelming to begin with. But then I'm, you know, wandering through and looking around and soaking in the memories. And then I walk on to um, stage three. Oh, wait, stage two. I think it's stage two. So I walked on to stage two. And, you know, everyone's milling about doing what they're supposed to be doing to kind of get ready for the day. And as I'm walking, all of a sudden I hear somebody say, someone says, Tony. Oh, my God, it's Tony. And I went, okay, that's weird. And then I turn around I, and it's like, Ike, oh my God, it's Ike. Ike it, 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 like all of a sudden this buzz goes through the space and everyone stops what they're doing and like so nice. come, comes over to shake my hand, to say hi, to say how excited they are. Not just to be working on the movie, but so excited to see Kim and I again. And I arrived... Yeah, I, I had arrived before Kim did. She came not long after me, but maybe you know, 15, 20 minutes after I did, she came walking in and then it all started all over again. And everyone just went crazy. And Andy Fickman was there. He was, you know, he was there. He sort of like was the master of ceremonies at that point. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and just people were telling stories and how much it meant to them and how they they, they their kids watch it. And then and then Andy said, you know. I, I've, I've got to show you guys the set. We have to walk through the set. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm sure it's a neat set, but I wasn't sure what he was talking about. So he guides us back and he walks through. And as he's walking through, he points out everything that he and the production team and the producers wanted to have in that set that were references to the original films. I mean, the, 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 the club was called Ray's named after Ray Milan. They had a picture of Ott, the horse, who was who played the original um, uh, Thunderhead in, in hmm. Escape to Witch Mountain, a picture of him that they had to dig through the archives to find, apparently. And all these little things, and I can't remember all the other ones because I was so overwhelmed by what was going on that I actually had a surreal experience and i thought no we're not actually doing a movie it's like this is a setup this has to be a setup it's like this ridiculous homage you know to us and to the film and you know this can't really be a real thing and even dwayne johnson stopped us and said you guys are such a huge part of 
you know, my life, my kid's life, my, you know, I don't think his kids were too young at the time, but I wanted to be a part of my kid's life. And, you know, it's part of why I wanted to do this. It was, it was just like, it was just, it was absolutely incredible. And, you know, you think you have a once in a lifetime experience and then it happens a second time, then it happens a third time. And, you know, I don't always really necessarily know how to process that, but I certainly do ingest it. And we finally got past all the, you know, all of that giddy stuff. And it was like, Andy said, okay, I guess we got to go to work now. <laughs> so I said, yeah, please. Cause it was like, the attention was just almost too much for me. It was almost too much for me. And then the, so the week rock was, was just, very friendly with you. Very oh, nice. God. Oh God. He, the rock is, and I say this frequently as well. He is everything that you think he would be any, everything you see him on camera in interviews in you know even all of his social media he's that person he he's seems just like that very person nice and, very, and i yeah, don't yeah, it's like good. he's one of those mega stars that i just i'm blown away at how how truly kind and generous he is and he includes everyone i mean he he just you just feel like you're his friend from the minute you meet him and that doesn't change it just doesn't change it's it's really incredible he's he's an amazing amazing person it, it was a massive honor to spend a week with him. I mean, really, really was. That, that's great. I, I mean, again, I know, know you've mentioned all these things so many times and we saved this for now, but I, I thank you for, for doing this again, because I've been wanting to ask these things forever. We want, and there's so much more in the memoir again, that, you know, people that, you know, you tell a lot of these behind the scenes things that people will, will love reading. But this was just so much fun to get to. And I hope you had fun talking about this stuff. I always I do. And thank you. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad we decided to do this because this is a blast, especially for us. It's like it's like fun to be a guest on on our own show. Right. Um, <laughs> and I know this is going to be a long one, but I hope people have it enjoyed it. You know what? This is this is people who love which. And you know what? I, I think I mentioned to you the first time I did. It. You know, I used to do a lot for mixed up files, you know, because I, I interview a lot of authors. And I always ask the one question, what was your favorite movie as, as a kid? Mm -hmm. And it's always tied. They're always, it's one of two movies. It's always, people say either, either The Goonies or Escape to Witch Mountain. Oh, Those wow. are the two that always come back the most as their wow. favorite childhood movies. So, and that, you know, for me, I get it. I, get, I totally get it. And, you know, I have a special place in my heart for Witch Mountain because I, I remember seeing it as a kid. It was one of the first things that I got to see in the theater. And yeah. seeing it in the theater is very different than going in and seeing it at home. It's a magical experience that you're, you know, your parents are taking you to something, you know. Oh, I, I, I completely agree. I, I, I uh, you know, when I, it's, it's it's been a few years now but i got to see it in the theater again after ever having watched it in a little video screen <laughs> on my computer endless times um one of the theater chains out here was having like like disney matinee and like play and playing classic disney movies and one weekend uh they decided to screen witch mountain it was a obviously a digital screening which didn't matter no but <laughs> But my wife, Tia, and I decided, well, we're, we're going to go. I mean, i got to see it in the theater again. And and I thought, what's this going to be like? And it was like, it just all washed over me again, almost like feeling like for the first time, because suddenly seeing the images up, the size they're supposed to be and the way you're in, intended to experience it really makes a huge difference in, in how you experience movies. And so 
you know, I, I completely understand. I get it. Even I get it. Um, having been so, you know, personally involved in it. So that it, it was a, it, it was awesome. And I'm going to say something that you don't know that I'm going to say, and you could edit this out if you want. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I, having said all this, you and I have discussed this in other shows. Disney needs to do better in bringing their stars into the family permanently. I mean, not that you need it. And I know Kim doesn't need it, but that's not the point. The point is your film was one of the bright spots during a time when they didn't have a lot of bright spots. And that has that needs to be yeah. taken into account. Their, their movies weren't universally loved at that time. <laughs> and yours was. That should mean something to them now. And they need to do better by their alumni. And, I, I, and I, I've said this many shows, and I'm going to keep saying it, because they <laughs> need to do better by not, not just you, and not just because we're doing the show, but they have to bring their, their, their all-stars back into the fold and in some capacity. That's my opinion. And I've, like I said, it's my soapbox here on this show. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, somehow that gets orchestrated. I certainly won't say no to it, whatever, whatever that means and however that could manifest itself. But uh, no, I appreciate that. You're a huge champion of, 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 of that idea. And, and, and I very much appreciate it. So. But we again, see. let's, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see. I, I'm going to keep pushing it. But, but again, like, thanks for, thanks for doing this. And thanks for talking about the memories. I, I love hearing it. So it's so always, I, I, I can talk I, about which mountain all the time. And there is so much more. So we may do another episode about it, but I, 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 I had a great time. I love talking about it. And, um, you know, I do post um, a lot of fun stuff on my social media which I do oh, want and to you're mention. on Twitter now. Let's get yeah, that out there. I'm, I am. I'm on Twitter. You can find me at I-K-E underscore E-I-S-E-N-M-A-N-N. -N. Same thing on Instagram. And also um, I'm on Facebook if you uh, want to check that out. But yeah, yeah, Twitter's Twitter's new to me. I'm having a lot of fun with it. It's a brand new kind of thing and seems like a lot more opportunity to engage with people. So, you know, well, if you missed Ike's stuff on, Ike's been on Instagram a while and He's now doing all the same things that he did on Instagram, releasing a lot of classic Disney, you know, uh, photographs of his career. So definitely follow on Twitter. And by the way, if you want, I'm House of Rosen, at House of Rosen on both, <laughs> on, on Instagram and Twitter. And, you know, again, you know, thanks for doing this. Thank you all for watching. Let us know in your comments, you know, what are your, some of your favorite Witch Mountain memories? and uh, what else you would like to hear us talk about. But uh, this was our first show for the uh, new year, and I'm, I'm happy. I, I think it was a good topic. And uh, again, Happy New Year to everyone. This has been Pop Culture Retro. I'm Jonathan Rosen with Ike Eisenman. And remember, subscribe. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Retro, where no one was hurt during the making of this podcast.